Good morning, church. Happy Labor Day weekend. I know there's a lot of people out traveling. Uh, thank you. Uh, they're out there trying to get their last vacation in. I completely get it. But uh, um, we're coming into, I believe, is, is one of the best time of the years. Just the cool air, the, the sweatshirts, the massive amount of football that you can consume on a weekly basis. So uh, this is my favorite time of the year. I love it. Absolutely love it. I don't like the pumpkin flavored stuff. Um, other than the pumpkin candy corn, I don't know why I like them, but I do. Um, I know that's controversial. But, uh, um, but uh, before we get started, just, uh, I, I want to make you guys mindful of something. We, uh, uh, something we've been in prayer about for a long time. Um, we announced a couple weeks ago that our student minister, uh, Luke, uh, is, is uh, going back to nursing. And um, we're going to miss him very much. Uh, we, we love and appreciate him and his family. Um, but uh, they're still going to stay here. They're still going to worship with us. So next week is his last Sunday, and uh, we just want you guys just to show him how much that you appreciate him and his time here, because um, we have greatly appreciated it, and we uh, can't wait to see what God does through his, his new ministry, which I, we can all agree that there's ministry that needs done in nursing, right? Amen. And then in the medical field. So we're excited to see what he does. Um, but with that being said, we have found a, a new student minister. He will be joining us a week from tomorrow, um, and we offered them a job on, uh, on Wednesday, him and his beautiful wife, and their son Titus will be moving here from Pennsylvania, uh, and his name's Kyle Smith, and uh, Kyle Smith uh, was a youth minister here in the area for many of years, and then went to Pennsylvania, and he wants to come home, and we said, come on home, and so uh, we're excited to see what he's going to do, so uh, he's going to be with us starting next Monday. Please pray that their transition is smooth. They have a new baby. I think Titus is only four months old, and if you have ever moved with children under the age of one, it is absolutely miserable, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, So, uh, but we're excited to see where God's going to take us in that journey. So we are finally going to start our series that I've been very excited about to the point I've been saying it's going to start for two weeks, and I've been wrong. Um, it's, it's because I really want to get into this series, series so much. I really do. And the reason why is because the Sermon on the Mount is the single most powerful sermon that has ever been spoken. Church, you got to agree with that. And so we're going to go through a nine to 10 week series. I know it's a long series, but we're really going to just slow down and we're going to just absolutely just get deep into what the Sermon of the Mount meant, what the Sermon of the Mount uh, still means and, and what the purpose of the Sermon of the Mount was. Now, when I was growing up, uh, you know, I'm, I, I was a very naive little boy and uh, I remember they told us, I grew up in Ohio, so they told us we're going to a field trip in first grade and they said, we're going to the Serpent Mount. If you guys know what that is, it's, it's a mount that's in southern Ohio that's shaped like a serpent. I remember I got off the bus and my teacher asked me, are you excited? I'm like, absolutely, Jesus spoke here. And they're like, no, no, no. Um, no, that's the sermon on the mount, not the serpent mount. I was like, well, same thing, whatever, I was one. Uh, so, but, so that day as a first grader, uh, my teacher taught me about the sermon on the mount. And uh, since that day, I have appreciated everything that has came from that sermon, um, even though I look like a fool for about 35 seconds. But, uh, um, but uh, the Sermon on the Mount is super powerful. So I want to paint the picture. So when, when we talk about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I love to give people a background of where it's at. And I love to have the people that's listening uh, uh, to, to learning about the Sermon on the Mount to kind of put yourself there. You know, I'm a person, I wish I lived back in biblical times. Just getting a glimpse of Jesus Christ can you imagine? 
Could you imagine him just walking by you with his 12 disciples and just that feeling that you have just being in the presence of Jesus Christ? So the Sermon on the Mount, it was spoke, they believe, on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. If you have ever seen pictures of the Sea of Galilee, I'm telling you, this is such a beautiful landscape. Just gorgeous. They, they said the Sea of Galilee used to have the most blue waters of any inbound body of water. And to this day, it's still there. And they believe that where Jesus spoke, you saw it on the intro video, they believe it was a natural amphitheater that flowed up into the hills and to the mountains. And they said you could see people as far as your eyes could see, just people all over wanting to listen to, the, to, to what Jesus Christ had to say and it was just a beautiful, beautiful area. To this day, back in, um, in the 1936, they built a church there. They built a church there, and it was called the Church of the Beatitudes. And the church had eight sides. Why did the church have eight sides? Because there's eight Beatitudes. And so Jesus saw this moment, and he saw this, this environment, and he saw this, this, this area that he just came and he preached the most amazing sermon that's ever been preached. And if you don't know about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it's, uh, it's found in one place. It's the, in entirety. It's found in Matthew chapter, chapters 5 through 7. And we're going to go through all those within the next 9 to 10 weeks. We see from the first verse that actually Jesus gave this sermon setting down. So all of you that made fun of me last week for looking like I was in a high chair, <laughs> just saying, Jesus spoke setting down. But Jesus spoke setting down because a lot of biblical scholars believe that he, he, he would set down because that's what the rabbi would, rabbis would do. They would set, and actually the people around them a lot of times would stand while the teacher would sit. That's different than what we're used to, right? But that's, that's the way it was back in biblical times. Is a lot of times the teacher would sit and the people would stand. I believe maybe they did that so the people wouldn't fall asleep. I don't know. That could be just me. But he would sit because that's how he would teach. So when you read the Sermon on the Mount, if you read it at a normal speed, church only takes 10 to 12 minutes in its entirety. So you got to think if, if that's what was spoken, Jesus only really taught for a little under 20 to 15, 15 to 20 minutes. And if you read through it, if, if you slow down, it may take 15 to 20, maybe 25 minutes. So Jesus, in the time that he was, had all these people in front of him, he gave a, honestly, pretty short message, a pretty short sermon. But when you look at scripture, there's 107 red letter verses in the Sermon on the Mount, the most compiled in scripture in this, these two chapters. Church, if you don't know what red letters mean, red letters mean that Jesus spoke it. And I'm going to tell you what my granddad always told me, if it's red, that means Jesus spoke it. You better pay attention. Jesus was on this earth for a very short amount of time. So when it is read, that means it came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. You better pay attention to that. So when we look at the, the, this, this series that we're about to get into, I'm going to preface by telling you this. During the message, during all of them, I'm going to ask you guys some questions. They're not rhetorical questions. You don't have to shout out your answer to me, but I want you guys to take these questions and really ask these questions to yourself. Church, if you've never read the Sermon of the Mount before, this will push you. There's some things that Jesus talks about 
that's really going to make you think and dive deep into your life and to look at what you're going through and what you're experiencing. Church, the Sermon of the Mount wasn't a feel-good sermon. It wasn't him just getting up there and, and talking about all the good things. Jesus was very honest to the people that were listening. And if you look at who was in attendance at the Sermon of the Mount, I would say they probably had a front row view, and that was the disciples. And so this was the first time he really sat down and laid it out for the disciples. So I call this the disciple job description. Have you guys ever had a job description that was put in front of you? You were applying for a job and you read that and you're like, I can't do that, right? It deters you from continuing on into the, job, into the, the hiring process. So Jesus set them down and he, gave, he told them about what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and basically this was the disciples' job description and the disciples decided to stay. Well, that means Jesus really put a lot of hope and faith into them. And you'll see why as we get deeper into the Sermon on the Mount. So church, that was the longest intro I will ever have. I promise you this. Let's get into the word. So when we start, and we're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountains, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Six says, blessed are those who hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Seven says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So for the persecuted, the prophets were before you. Church, there's one word that really Jesus really, really pours it on. And that's the word blessed. And Jesus goes through the Beatitudes and the Beatitudes basically is telling us how to be blessed, when you're going to be blessed. And that's how Jesus started this whole Sermon on the Mount is, is telling people how to be blessed. And when you read it, you see some of the words usually don't align with us feeling blessed. And we're going to get into those. He talks about persecution. He talks about, about um, um, mourning. He talks about uh, different things that usually are not connected to us feeling blessed. But church, we are blessed people because we have the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what he's telling us to start. Church, I am a firm believer that people know or they know in the first 65 to 75 seconds of a, of a pastor preaching if they're going to pay attention or not. Jesus came out blazing. He came out and said, oh, you will pay attention. And this is why. And he tells them, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to mourn. You're going to be poor of spirit, but you're going to be blessed. So church, when we look at the word blessed, if you don't know what that means, that means happy or fortunate. Church, both of those words, I would truly say every true Christ follower is happy and fortunate. I'm happy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Is it always easy? No. 
I'm fortunate to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Is it always everything I thought I signed up for? No. But church, I'm blessed. And when we look at why Jesus was telling them that they'd be blessed, because he knew, he knew that if all these believers followed him, that things were going to change. Because at this moment, this time in the ministry of Jesus Christ, this is when the ball really got rolling. This is when the miracles started to happen. This is when Jesus couldn't even go anywhere because he would be followed. Um, and, and scripture says there, there, sometimes there were mobs that would follow Jesus and his disciples. So this is what got his ministry absolutely just rolling down the tracks is this sermon. So he knew that when all these believers started to follow him, they need to know it's not all sunshine and roses. Things are going to happen. But be blessed. Church, we have all things in our life that maybe the first thing that goes out of the window is the feeling of us being blessed. Something happens at work. Something happens at home with your kids, your spouse. Something happens that you shouldn't have been a part of, but yet you got roped into it. And something happened. The first thing that we think that we are not is blessed. Church, we talked about this the past couple weeks about how, how we can feel overwhelmed by the evil in this world. I told you last week, this is an evil world that does evil things to God's people. Church, you are still blessed. And you have to believe that. So when we look at, at, at scripture back in the Old Testament, what did we have in the Old Testament? We had the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments told us what we should not do, what we can't do. Well, in the New Testament, the Beatitudes, there are eight attributes of what you can do and you should do, but only through the power of Jesus Christ. And that's why the Beatitudes are so effective, because it tells us what to do, it tells us how to do it, but most importantly, it tells us who we can do it through. Church, that takes out all the guessing. That takes out all the question of how it can happen, who it can happen through, Church, have you guys ever been put in a situation you had way more questions than answers? That's what Jesus wanted to eliminate when this massive crowd just absolutely got in front of him. He wanted to make sure there was more answers than questions. So he lays out the eight Beatitudes, and we're going to go through all eight of them. So the first one, we're going to, there's going to be four groups. We're going, to, we're going to break them up in groups of the Beatitudes. Okay? The first group is three Beatitudes that are roots of a blessed life. And that is three, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If you look at all these, these beatitudes that, that you are rooted of a blessed life, church, they really don't connect. The roots of a blessed life are poor in spirit, mourning, being meek. Church, this is when Jesus is telling you and telling the followers that you're not always going to have things together. We almost turned the van around one Sunday on our way to church because someone stole somebody else's Pop-Tart. Not making that up. I was halfway to church, and I wasn't on staff there, so we were just in the congregation, and I mean, we call it the bloody nose Pop-Tart incident. 
And I remember I was like this, I'm not going to church with all this stuff happening around me. But what's it say? It says, those who are poor in spirit, you're blessed. Now, do we still laugh at this 10 years later? You better believe it. It comes up every Thanksgiving. But it says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, we need to have the attitude of Jesus if we're going to be rooted. It says, it, says, uh, it says that he was gentle and lowly in heart. Philippians 2, 8, it says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If we want to be blessed and are poor of spirit, and when we mourn, we have to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. But we also need to have the attitude of a follower of Jesus Christ. I hope you guys know that there's a difference. There's having the attitude of Jesus and having the attitude of a follower of Jesus Christ. And it says, 1 Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and a humble mind. The word I want to touch on is have unity of mind. Church, as a body of believers, we need to stick together. We need to unify. There's a lot of events coming up in our area that we're not unified over. There's a lot of events that are going to come up on the national stage. We need to be unified in. Church, but a lot of times we're not unified, unified because we're poor in spirit. We mope. We mourn. We're meek. Church, but it says in Scripture, we need to have the attitude of a follower of Jesus Christ. So this is the question, one of the questions I'm going to ask you. I want you to think about it. Church, where are you rooted? Are you rooted in your own selfish desires? Are you rooted in the pursuit of earthly things? Are you rooted in hate? Are you rooted in jealousy? Church, you know, every single one that I just mentioned, you have been rooted in that in some time of your life, right? Some point in your life, you have been rooted in one of those things. So church, I'm going to ask you again, where are you rooted? And a follow-up question, when you answer that question, do you like your answer? Does your answer give you comfort and peace? Church, if your answer is not you're rooted in Jesus Christ, you have the wrong answer. I told you, it's gonna, this Sermon on the Mount is going to push us. I don't like telling people they're wrong. But church, if you are rooted in something that is not Jesus Christ, you are wrong. And I want you to, I want you to really hear my heart. I'm telling you this out of a place of love. If you are not rooted... In Jesus Christ, you are wrong. So when we look at the scripture, it says uh, to, to begin a blessed life, the roots and poor in spirit, we need to understand poor in spirit, it means strongly aware of how inadequate I am and how desperately I need God. Church, when we talk about being poor in spirit, this is the one that Jesus was telling all of, all of the people listening that you're not going to have everything together. You're inadequate, and that's where Jesus fills those gaps. Church, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I am not good enough, but I am because of Jesus Christ. I, am, I do not have everything together, 
as well as I make it look up here on Sunday mornings. I'm kidding, I don't. But you know what? I have the hope of Jesus Christ. And I know when I am poor in spirit, I need to lean on him more than I ever have before. Church, so if you are poor in spirit, you need to be rooted in the fact that you need Jesus Christ in your life. Well, what about when we mourn? At no other time in our life are we more broken than when we mourn. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is near, near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. At this moment of this sermon that Jesus is speaking, I truly believe he is 100% speaking to the disciples. He is telling them on their first day, you will mourn. He's telling the disciples that there is a loss coming and you will feel heartbroken. You will feel scared. You will feel uncertain. But Jesus is telling them as a root of a blessed life, when you mourn, it says you are near, closer to me than you have ever been before. I believe Jesus was telling the disciples that this is coming. You need to be rooted in me. And the third one, the, th the third beatitude we're going to look at is being meek. Church, being meek does not mean being weak. Okay? Let me give you some scripture that, that backs it up. And it, it says, Numbers 12.3, it says that Moses was a meek man. What does that mean? That means meek Jesus, I'm sorry, Moses knew that he had an attitude that he knew he was strong, but he was not stronger than Jesus Christ. That he was not stronger than, than, than God in his life. Moses knew he was a strong man. Come on, church. He had to be. He had to rely on God. He was leading people on the worst guided tour that has ever been recorded in history. He had people complaining all day, every day. He had people wanted to go their own way. You know how many people left that pack over the 40 years? They had people talking about Moses behind his back. Moses had to be strong, but Mo Moses was also meek. He knew his strength came from God and nobody else. Church, second question I'm going to ask you. Your meekness reflects your attitude. If you think you are more powerful than God and the plans that God wants to instill in your life, church, you're wrong. A lot of times, sometimes we have to let our guard down and let God take over. Man, I'm going to talk to you for a little bit. We have been taught forever that we need to be strong, and I truly agree. I believe we need to protect our families. I believe we need to lead our families. And I want to thank you guys for, for, for making sure your kids and your family are in church. Man, it's okay to be meek sometimes. You do not have to be strong every day of your life. That's where Jesus comes in. Jesus picks you up when you are absolutely weak and have nothing left. So the third beatitude is, and when we are rooted, we need to be rooted when we're meek. So we're going to move on. And the fourth beatitude is the longing of a blessed life. And in six, it says this. It said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Church, next question. Are you hungry for the love of Jesus Christ? Are you hungry for the word of God? It says, blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness. Church, are you hungry? 
Are you so hungry that you have this emptiness in the pit of your stomach that you know it's, it needs to be filled by scripture? It needs to be filled by, by prayer. It needs to be filled by, by, by being uh, ser- serving at, at any type of capacity. It says the beatitude is longing for a blessed life. Church, do you long for a relationship with Jesus Christ? Church, I've been a believer since I was about 12, 13 years old. I know I am not where I need to be, and I never will be. Because God has put a fire in my stomach that I have to put something in it every day. Some days am I wrong? Absolutely. Some days do I ignore that fire? Yes, I do. But we have to long for that hunger. We have to be hungry. We have to, to, to dive into the word. Psalms 42.2 says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63.1 says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Amos 8.11 says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I shall send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but hearing the words of God. Church, are you hungry for the word of God? That's something you need to ask yourself. A lot of times people ask or answer the question, I'm satisfied with the word of God. Not one place in scripture does it say you need to be satisfied with the word of God. You need to be hungry for it. You need to be just absolutely, you, you have to consume it. Church, there's a story in the Bible It's the woman at the well. I think this is one of the most powerful, impactful, we'll call it experiences in the Bible. This was not a long, drawn-out conversation that Jesus had. And Jesus tells this woman that that, uh, was living in sin, he tells her something. What does he tell her? He says this, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become him in a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Church, have you been bold enough to say, I am thirsty. I want to drink from that water. Church, have you, been, have you been in a place in your life that you look up and, God, and say, God, I am so thirsty and hungry. Fill me. So that's the fourth beatitude is we need to long for that blessed life. We need to, to be hungry for it. Because if you're hungry and thirsty, consume whatever God is putting in front of you. The next three is the next three beatitudes are what happens when you do live the blessed life. It's called the fruit of the blessed life. And it says in seven, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Church, he's telling us, you will become merciful if you follow me. You will become pure if you follow me. But most importantly, you will become a peacemaker if you follow me. Church, there is a reason that these are fruits and not roots. Because when we look back at the roots, that's what happens. That's what we need, how we need to get started with our blessed life is those are the roots that we need to put down deep and we need to tend to them. And when that happens, what happens? You have fruit. And the fruit of that is 
Become merciful, become pure, and become peacemaker because that does not happen in the beginning, church. When Jesus sat down in front of all these followers, he's looking at them. What was he planning? A seed. Church, I know we all have encounters in our lives with people that we don't think we're getting through to them. Church, I know that the name of Jesus Christ is a seed that is more powerful than any other seed. I know just one glimpse of what Jesus can do in your life is a seed that can bear many fruit. Church, I'm going to share this a couple times during the course of our nine to 10 week series is this. It breaks my heart. 100%, I'm going to be transparent and honest. It breaks my heart knowing that people sat on the side of this hill and heard Jesus Christ tell us about the fruits of living a blessed life, and they walked away unchanged. Church in Scripture doesn't say that everybody in attendance accepted who Jesus Christ was. There is people that came there hating who Jesus was, and they still left hating him. Church, but I truly believe Jesus instilled a seed of hope in every single one of them that heard his voice. I know for a fact, because I have seen it, that Jesus, just the name of Jesus, instills hope in everybody that hears it. Amen. There is power, powerful, powerful power in the name of Jesus Christ. We have to believe that. And that's what he said. So when, when you have the roots, there's going to be fruit. Man, I, I'm sounding like Dr. Seuss this morning, I tell you. Good gravy. I should have looked that through. All right. So the last one is the one that really, really I think we all struggle with. I truly believe this one is why some people walked away from that encounter with Jesus Christ unchanged. I believe this is the one that a lot of people walk away still to this day because of this beatitude. And in 10, it says, Bless those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter, utter all kinds of evil against you. You falsely on my account rejoice and be glad, for you are, your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who came before you. Church, can we be blessed? Can we be happy when we are persecuted and ridiculed for what we believe in? 100%. Church, I know this one right here is why a lot of people don't get committed to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nowhere in scripture did Jesus ever tell us that being a follower of him will be easy. Church, when we paint a picture of the encounter that Jesus had in this moment, we look back. I believe at the time in this sermon, I believe that Jesus focused on those 12 again, and I believe he looked them right in the face and said, if you want to be a follower of me, it's going to be tough. People's going to hate you. People's going to hate what you stand for. People are going to disown you. People will threaten you. People will talk about your family behind your back. People will tell you you're ignorant. People's going to tell you that you're flat out wrong. Church. 
you can be blessed and be persecuted at the same time only because of the love of Jesus Christ. That's it. Church, when we look at this one right here, Jesus is telling all of us, as a Christ follower, you will be persecuted. As a Christ follower, as a believer in the blood of Jesus Christ, you will be mocked. You'll be ridiculed. Church, I experienced this firsthand when I was very young. I went to church camp, and in a week's time, I got saved, I got baptized, and I started dating my wife. It was a good week. <laughs> and I remember I, I left, and that camp got over in the end of July, and all of August, I mean, I was in Scripture. I was going to three Bible studies a week. I was, I was ready. I was on fire. I'm like, I'm going to take this fire to my school. And I'm going to ignite it there. I'm going to start a, a Bible study group at lunch. And I remember my mom took me uh, school shopping. And I was like, I want to get all my clothes at the Christian bookstore. You guys might not. If you're young, you don't know what a Christian bookstore is. Um, they used to be amazing. I, we would go there on Friday nights and just listen to music. And, and I remember there was a shirt. And on the front of the shirt, it says, do you want to know why Satan is ugly? And on the back, it says, because he was beat with a stick. And it had a picture of the cross. My favorite shirt ever. My favorite shirt ever. I love that shirt. And I'm like, that's going to be the shirt I wear on my first day of school. And I was a freshman. And I remember I sat at the table. And, and uh, I was eating. And all of a sudden, two seniors came and sat beside me. I'm like, man, I am that popular kid sitting with seniors on my first day of high school. And the one leaned over and whispered in my ear, and said, if you do not take that shirt off, you will be the one that gets beat. That moment, church, I did not prepare myself knowing that I was going to be persecuted as a Christ follower. Now, don't get me wrong, the pastors I had, the youth pastors I had, they really got me ready for the good stuff. They really got me ready for the blessed stuff. Church, they really didn't have time to get me ready for the bad stuff because I was a young believer. Church, bad things happen to Christ followers. And I'm going to make a bold statement. We are more persecuted now than we have been in probably two, three hundred years. People are coming after us because of what we believe in. Church, I'm going to go back to my first point. You need to stay rooted in what you believe. Church persecution because of what you believe in will not get any easier as we go down the road. I'm going to make a bold statement again. It's going to get harder. But Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that we were going to be persecuted for the way that we love him. That's why Jesus was teaching us and, and lifting us up and telling us, church, this is going to happen. Church, I want you to understand something. When we look at the love of Jesus Christ, you could be persecuted all day. You could be ridiculed all day. Church, they're just words. They're just emotions that they're showing because maybe they don't know who the real Jesus Christ is. Church, as we go into this, this last moment, I want to leave this with you, and I'm going to ask you a question again. Where are you rooted? Are you rooted on fear so you're not making that next step in your walk with Jesus Christ because you're afraid of being persecuted? Are you rooted in knowing that Jesus Christ has you and he will always have you? 
Church, where are you rooted? Heavenly Father, as we come into this moment, Lord, God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for his blood. God, most importantly, God, I thank you for a sacrifice, Lord. For the way that he loved us so much. He took that ridicule for us. He took that, that, that persecution for us. God, but most importantly, he took that pain for us. God, my prayer simply today is, God, I want to just know where I'm rooted. God, and that's my prayer for everybody here, God, that, you, that they see where they're rooted at. And God, if they're not rooted in the right area, God, I think it's time for them to replant, to move to you, and God, that they're rooted to you and your love and your understanding and your compassion. God, we love you in your glorious name, amen. Church, if you don't know where you're rooted, today's the day to ask yourself that question. Today's the day for you to be honest about where you're rooted at. That's why Jesus started this whole Sermon on the Mount with this, because he couldn't carry on until people knew that they weren't rooted in the right place. If you don't know where you're rooted, you're having trouble answering that question, or maybe you are rooted in the wrong place, and you need help, I'll be right over there. I will pray with you. I will, sh I will, I will introduce you to who Jesus Christ is. Church, there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's believe that today. Let's stand.